All right, my friends, so I've said it once, I've said it a million times, estate planning is probably the most overlooked aspect of your total financial plan. There's just no other way around that. As much time and wasted energy as we spend on investing, it just is nuts because all that time and energy is all for naught. You're not going to beat the markets. Ah! But your estate planning, it could come and really bite you in the backside. Uh, and usually it's not you, it's your spouse, uh, for sure. I, I, I mean, just look, I've seen it. Uh, don't let that be you. Don't be so either ignorant or arrogant that you'll say, I ah, will take care of it later, or we don't need to. I, I just, it's, you can't do that. You've got to get your stuff together. The laws change. If you live in a different state from where you got yours drawn up before, just you got to be on that like white on rice. So in today's episode, we're going to talk with Stephanie Scarborough, a local attorney here in Atlanta, um, who also has immigration law in Florida. And I think she said she's uh, uh, in the New York bar as well. So I think she does estate planning in New York, Georgia, and immigration in Florida. She has a team. It's not just Stephanie, but, um, you know, not a huge team. But anyway, a real a real nice lady, uh, Iraq War vet, the first Iraq War. So that's always cool. Went in as enlisted. So she actually earned her money there. Uh, before she got to eat the surf and turf of the officer corps, as she, uh, I think, I forgot what she said, what she got out as. When you get out in the enlisted, you ETS, enlisted terminated status. I don't know what it is in the officer corps. You, I just don't know what it's called. But anyway, OTS, officer terminated status. I don't know. But anyway, uh, and so anyway, it was an interesting discussion. We talk a lot about estate planning in terms of things you need to do for sure. What a good estate planning attorney should do for you. Uh, I'm the one who said, you know, to hire somebody, not so much use legal zoom because legal zoom doesn't know the right questions to ask you. I hate to say it, it's just a software package. They can ask you the basic stuff. It's not enough. It's just not enough at all. And, uh, and so I'm not to make this a sales pitch for Stephanie, uh, or any legal person, but, uh, it is because you got to know what you're doing and the only way you know what you're doing is to hire somebody who knows what's going on. So hope you enjoy the episode. As listen, as always, listen to the sponsors. Uh, wherever you get this podcast, give me a fun, uh, thumbs up, a five star, and uh, put some notes in there and uh, and listen through the whole thing. I've got Stephanie's uh, Stephanie Scarborough and her uh, ScarboroughLaw.com. ScarboroughLaw.com. I guess she has a YouTube channel, which I'm trying to get her to do more. Uh, but if you're interested in talking with an estate planning attorney here in Georgia, New York or immigration law in Georgia and or New York and or Florida. Uh, give Stephanie a shout. All right, we'll see you next time. All right, my friends, welcome to another episode of the Josh Scanlon podcast. And again, I got an exciting, ex they're all exciting. Let's just admit that all the podcasts we do are, are must-see TV, right? Right. Uh, but anyway, this time I got Stephanie Scarborough, uh, who's an attorney locally here in Atlanta, and I think also has an office in, uh, in Florida as well. So if you're a, resi a resident in either of those two states, uh, you certainly want to look up Stephanie. However, I imagine you can find her in other ways too, which we'll get into. But I found it, we spent so much time on investments and I just want to drop an anvil on my head because the biggest risks are not investments. The biggest risks are improper estate planning. And I've, I've used beneficiary designations a million times a Sunday that if you don't get your beneficiary squared away, uh, it's it's all for naught. We've had case law where, where people of second marriages have left money to their previous spouse that wasn't meant to go there. And the, and the, the judge says, no, that's what you had left when you died. And it was, sucks to be you. So estate planning is a big issue. And then obviously healthcare is another big issue as well. But it's interesting because Stephanie is also an immigration attorney. And I can't tell you how many people I have 
who reach out to me who have uh, spouses that aren't uh, Native Americans, not Native Americans like the American Indians, but born and raised like your old buddy Josh here in, uh, in the U.S. So it's my pleasure to introduce Stephanie Scarborough. So welcome aboard, Stephanie. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for the for our discussion. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, just, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you. If, uh, if it just whatever comes to mind, you know, you like the Patriots and the Bruins or, or oh, whatever yeah. comes to mind. Tell us a little bit about Stephanie, if you would. Don't talk about the Patriots now. <laughs> 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 so, um, so Josh, I am, uh, I, as you state, I have been practicing law, um, immigration law for a number of years. Um, I've actually been involved in immigration for about 20 years Been practicing immigration law for over 10 years. And um, in addition, our firm practice it covers estate planning and business practice. We work with a lot of small business owners in their estate planning, and therefore we also do business tra transactions for them. Um, on the immigration side, I, we handle um, not deportation work, but business law, business oh. immigration. So that, okay. that carries through a lot to our business law. And in business immigration and family-based immigration, so somebody gets married and they want to bring their spouse to the U.S., we handle a lot of those what we call family-based cases. Um, and I just love that because you're working with somebody, you know, through their entire lives. And by marrying up like immigration and, and, and estate planning and business law, we can actually, you know, we're, we're a lot about a relationship. So we can actually carry a family through a marriage and bring their spouse or child from another country, we can help them with their estate planning. And then we also, you know, some of them are business owners and we help them with business audits. So I just love that because we're able to kind of, um, you know, really be kind of a personal family lawyer, a personal business lawyer, where we can help the entire kind of a holistic approach to their needs. Um, and that that's what's most important to us is the relationships that we're able to establish with um, with the clients and and also, you know, help them kind of realize their dreams, you know, just on immigration side, but also help them financially by yeah. effective estate planning. Um, personally, I, um, I'm an army vet. So I was a desert storm. Uh, I'm a desert storm uh, vet. And uh, so that was in another lifetime, as you know, because <laughs> that was a little way, a little uh, long ago, right? Yeah. 90s. So um, a lot of my employees were not even born when I went <laughs> back to desert storm. <laughs> so, um, and, and, um, yeah, I learned a lot of lessons through, through my military experience that I try to apply every day in terms of just caring for people and leadership and, um, you know, understanding what, what real people go through in their, did, in their planning. Did you go in the military enlisted or officer or how'd you? Yeah, I went in enlisted and then I, I got a direct commission later on after after Desert Storm. I, I got a direct commission. In fact, the GI Bill paid for me to go through uh, through my bachelor's. Okay, then I got cool. a direct commission and stayed in the reserve. So I did active duty and reserve time. So I had a, a, a nice a nice military career. And then I went to law school. In fact, I still use my GI Bill in law school. So really? Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah. yeah. So, so after lucky. high school, you just, I mean, that's what I did after high school. I just enlisted in the infantry after high school, you just enlisted or, or what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, my father wasn't real happy about that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but well, he, the GI bill paid for my college too. So thank you taxpayer. But, uh, at the end of the day, uh, Stephanie, you and I both work for well less than minimum wage, if you know what I'm saying. So I, oh. I appreciate the taxpayer, but I also think we uh, we deserved it. That's for sure. We kind of worked for it, right? We kind of worked for it. Mm -hmm. 
So did you are you did you retire or anything or you get out after eight or something like that like four active four reserve or something like that or what you what you end up doing? No, I actually ended up total. I was uh, I was in for like seventeen years. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So I ended up being in for a long time, but um, but didn't didn't get a retirement just because it I was I went to law school and it made okay. it much more you know much more reasonable for me to um, you know to just you know. To just kind of uh, finish, get, go to law school and, and practice law, basically. So I would have needed, you know, you know, I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds on the podcast, but you know how it works with the the on the reserve side. You have to have good years, and when you have babies, so I have three teen boys. So when you have <laughs> babies, you usually end up missing some uh, right some drill weekend. So yeah, right on. Raising, raising boys, raising boys, I missed some time, so I just didn't. I didn't go through the retirement, but. It was actually a good decision for me not to do that. Well, they've changed it now. Where I mean, now it's sweet. You can put in, I think it's twelve now. I think and still get a partial pension and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that you know, for another podcast, I guess. But finally, the right. DOD pulled their head out of their butt and say we're losing all these senior NCOs like you. Uh, well, I guess you weren't an NCO anymore mm -hmm. because uh, they got twelve in, and they're like, I don't want another eight, but I, but. I just so they've changed that now. Are, are you familiar with that rule? That they, yeah, uh, I'm not, but I totally would have done it. I just aged out, kind of. I couldn't go back once I got yeah. secure with the kids and everything. But absolutely, that's I, cool. I, I totally would have gone back. And also on a, on a personal side, I'm also an avid cyclist. I get on the bike at least you know ten or twelve hours a week, and just love I'm you know being out there in the mountains climbing. Yeah. Road. So where are you a uh, native? from um you know i because i was in the military quite young i'm a native of pennsylvania but okay. also okay. call myself a new yorker and a south carolinian and a floridian and a georgian now so i've been i've been all over okay, okay. Gotcha. gotcha gotcha is there an echo back there by chance or i don't hear an echo okay. do you hear an echo i not anymore all right cool um all right gotcha so let's talk Stephanie, so uh, let's you you've been in the law for a long time. I you know I, I appreciate the background for sure. You have some experience in terms of uh, your own experience, you know, through the military, you know, being deployed, you know, being a veteran uh, of uh, of a war, really of a war, um, and uh, and so you've seen a lot. And then you step start saying, you know, you want to be an attorney. How did you end up doing? And we're going to talk about state planning here in just a sec. But I am curious, how did you end up going? you know, immigration law as opposed to real estate as opposed to corporate and all that stuff. I, I find that pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, my first job um, after I got out of the military, uh, after I got off of active duty and finished my bachelor's degree, my first job was for a multinational company. Okay. It's a, you might call them a call center, but it was a contact management center now. Um, but uh, I was um, essentially a project manager, a project coordinator. My first project out of out of college and out of the military was immigration, and this was in 2000 when what this highly specialized visa they call the H-1B is for uh, bachelor degree professionals. That was just starting to heat up in the IT industry, so we had um, I was assigned basically to coordinate um, all of the immigration activities for that company. Okay. And, mostly Indian nationals who were coming over. And, and it, again, it was pretty new at the time. So we gave an attorney about 40 cases and, um, and that grew over a, a, a time period. I think it grew to like 75 over a 40 day period. 
And it, it took that attorney, like nothing was happening. And I know um, I hear this a lot from, from clients, like what, why, why don't I hear from my attorney? Nothing's happening. And I've lived it. And so this is before I was an attorney and I was just calling the attorney and trying to push them. And I kept getting the paralegal. I couldn't get the attorney on the phone. My, my cubicle was right across from the CEO's office. Yeah. And he'd come out and point to me constantly and say every day, what's happening with the immigration cases. And I'd have to get on the phone with the attorney and I'd get the paralegal. One day the paralegal said to me, um, I, you know, after really nothing had happened for 40 days, said, um, you're not our only client, you know? Yeah. And I said, um, you know, we're, we're not your only client, but we are your only client that's given you 75 cases yeah. in a 40 day period. And you've done nothing with, by the way, at $2,500 a piece, right? right. It's a considerable amount of money. Yeah, you're waiting on these people. You're giving them twenty five hundred bucks a pop, giving them seventy five cases or something like that, and you know they're just mm -hmm. twiddling their thumbs. So what happened? So yeah, so I called the um, the uh, paralegal like constantly. To be honest, I was with that client that you know you don't want to have. Because yeah. I was calling every day. The 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 CEO was coming out of his office and pointing at me every every day, a couple times a day, even, and saying, "What's going on? What's going right. on?" Like operationally, right. we needed to move this forward. So uh, one day, I called the paralegal and said, "What's happening? You know, I I talk every day. I can't get the attorney on the phone. Can you give me an update?" And she said, "You know, um, you're not our only client." Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm like, we're not our, we're not your only client. Not only are we not your only client, we're no longer your client. Pack it all up and send it back to us. Oh, so, you said that. You know, I had to. I had to. We were really up against it operationally. It was impacting. It was, you know, what our actions as service providers. You know, now me as an attorney, impact uh, business operations. So if we oh. delay something, and it, we were losing money every day by not having those uh, workers on site, and we couldn't find U.S. workers who had this skill set. Or, you know, we were already training these guys, and we were ready for them to come on site. So we, um, of course, the attorney who wouldn't pick up the phone for 40 days, as soon as I said that, um, and as soon as I hung up, I get a call from that attorney. Now he suddenly wants to talk and wants to come up with a solution. So we were able to kind of find a solution where I was able to help with some of the administrative tasks. The fact was they just couldn't scale up fast enough for us. And that happens in business, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and it happens to lawyers, but they, instead of reaching out and saying what, you know, or even trying to just get a couple of the cases done and things were much more simple in the year 2000 in immigration, they just kind of let, he just left his, um, his employee kind of in lurch and she was the one answering the call. So, that really drove me that experience, not only to go to law school, because I learned a, a huge skill set through that process, but um, it also drove and, and, and shaped the way I try to practice. And that is, you know, we get really, really busy, but we really try to focus on the operational needs of our business clients and and the personal needs of our estate planning clients. So we really try to drive our entire practice on this client-focused model, where we put ourselves in their shoes and 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 try to deliver for them because it's such a hassle dealing with attorneys. We know <laughs> it's a hassle dealing with attorneys because we've been there. Right. So 
you know, it kind of drives what I do in terms of how I deliver the services. And it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be kind of that, um, we're, we're certainly not going to be the cheapest and we're certainly not going to be, um, you know, we're not going to be somebody who's an online option, but we're going to look at everything that you need and your goals and try to match your goals. So, I mean, honestly, yeah, we talk about how thing, how our past informs what we do, and that right. is the the biggest um, kind of story I can tell that informs what I do today. That's The same thing happens in my business when people are managing money and they never hear from their advisor. And finally, mm-hmm. I encourage them just go to Vanguard or something like that. Just, I mean, stop paying these guys. You're not, you're not getting service. Yeah. And the minute, the minute they send the forms in from Vanguard, the ACAT forms or whatever, out of nowhere, the advisor happens to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, why are you leaving?" It's because I'm spending mm-hmm. fourteen thousand dollars a year on you, buddy, and I haven't heard anything from you. Ah, um, all right, well, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixty-two. I think it's like sixty-two or seventy percent of of customers leave a business because of neglect. Yeah. And that's that's what Absolutely. we try to avoid is and then also we want to meet your needs. You know, we're not here for ourselves, honestly. We're here, you know, our the whole reason we we exist as service providers is to provide a service and we love doing it. So that's just what what we need to do in, in two thousand nineteen with uh you know, with uh, service ser- the service industry. So tell us, like I've talked about before we got on the line here, I, I think the, mm-hmm. one of the neglects that people have is their estate planning because it is, it is a pain. There's no getting around that. And they say, I'll just push it off. Give us some ideas of what you see in your experience. And this doesn't have to be just for immigration because I know you don't just deal with immigration, sure. but you deal with you know, good old-fashioned you know, people here in the good old U.S. of A too. But you know, what have you what? seen in your, you know, your experience? You've been around for quite some time doing this stuff. So you've seen cases after cases. And Anything jump out at you? At a, not a state plan that you've done wrong or anything like that, but just an estate that was neglected. You're like, man, I wish they would have done or I wish they would have listened to me or any examples that you have where you presented an estate you know, situation that they just did not act, um, where they could have been neglected. They, they could have been squared away if they just would have done something. Does that, does that does it make sense what I'm asking you? Yeah, absolutely. And and actually, if you ask me what the biggest mistake in estate planning in it is, it is not having an estate plan. Yeah. Just failing to act. And and they're they're really not highly highly complex documents. Yes, it takes some thought, but the failure to act is the biggest mistake that people make. And um sometimes by having these documents in place, it can have a significant impact. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Most people who who don't have, well, I shouldn't say that. People with high net worth even don't have an estate plan or don't put their money in trust and don't think about these issues or think about them and just keep putting it off. And that exactly. is really common. Like they know it's one of those nagging things in the back of their head, but it's hard to think about the end of your life. Um, and also estate planning generally works for the benefit, the estate plan itself, a will, a trust, those things work for the benefit of the survivors of your heirs yeah but what people overlook just doing it they don't do it or they put it off um and you know it's not an engine light there's no engine light if something's wrong with your car the engine light's going to come on and say you need to do this you need to do this estate planning is something that people don't get warned about until something horrible happens and then they wish they had done it they would have done it so the other thing they forget about is estate planning is more than just planning for your death. It's more than just thinking about 
Somebody is, when I die, what's going to happen to all my assets? It's more than that. It is planning for incapacity. So if you're incapacitated, somebody still has to pay your bills. You have people who, who you want. You know, we ha we're living in the age of HIPAA. You have, which is the health insurance, uh, the health information portability and accountability act, right? That's that little waiver, you, that little note, privacy notice you sign. Right, you go to the right. doctor saying, we won't give your, right. your health information to anyone. But that, but not giving that health information to anyone also means if you're in an accident at midnight on a Saturday night and your spouse can't find you, then you might not be told by the nurse's station that, you know, that you're there at the hospital. Right. Or if you have an out of state family member who calls a nurse's station and knows that you've been in an accident and wants information just to find out if you're there, if you're OK, they can't do that because you don't have a HIPAA waiver on file with that person's name on it. So there are fundamental documents that can help you if you're incapacitated or you're injured. Somebody has to pay your bills. So, you, you know, if you're incapacitated, so you need a general durable power of attorney. You know, thinking about incapacity, what would happen if I were in the hospital for a week or a month and I needed someone to take care of my life? I, I, if you don't have an estate plan with a focus on incapacity, you don't have anybody who can do that because there are no legal documents authorizing that. Man, that's so, – uh, no, go <laughs> ahead, go ahead. No, no, it's, that's, that's the second mistake is don't just think about it as planning for death. Think about it as planning for your life, you know, I, your fact, incapacity. One of the things I say, Stephanie, is death is easy. Uh, it's incapacity that's the issue. And yet it's incapacity mm -hmm. gets overlooked all the time because everyone's, you know, focused on death. You know, if this happens, estate planning, my estate does X, Y, Z. And I always say, but what if you're not dead? What if you're incapacitated? Like you yeah. gave the perfect example is and people are like, uh, well, my wife's a beneficiary. I said, man, but you're not dead. We just established you're right. not dead. She doesn't so get anything. Yeah. Exactly. What happens? So that's uh, any, what else jumps out at you? Well, the other thing that jumps out at me, and I'll give you an example, is some people use tools like um, payable on death accounts yeah. um, to, as like kind of the kind of, we call it kind of the poor man's estate plan. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll either do joint tenancy where with right of survivorship with their spouse, or they'll do a payable on death account and have that paid off to, to a relative or an heir that they want it to go, their money to go to. And then they think that's enough. Um, but what about everything that isn't in that pay, pay upon yeah. death account? And I'll give you, here's a story. And this is a story about uh, my father-in-law, really. My father-in-law passed away in North Carolina a couple of years ago. He had most of his money, in a pay-on-death account to a step-grandchild, right? The money had come from his wife anyway, her, her um, life insurance or something, and so he thought it was best to pass to the step-grandchild. The problem is he had other assets outside of that account, like houses and cars and, and tangible personal property as furniture and all of his um, household goods and a gun and all this other stuff, that were not taken care of, and he didn't have a will. Oh. Now, who's responsible? His biological children, his heirs, his biological heirs, are now responsible for the estate, although all of the money in the estate, the cash, is going pay on death immediately to a step-grandchild, right? So 100 and something thousand dollars goes to the step-grandchild. Now the biological children are stuck settling the estate and paying the attorney for probate, and I'll talk about probate in a second,
but paying the attorney for probate some $6,000 while all the money is sitting in account that is gone to a step-grandchild who now grabs the money. You know, he's due the money. It's his money now. Takes the money and goes and doesn't. There's no help with the estate because there's no no, no um, money to pay the attorney until you settle all of the assets. So, of course, now your biological children who didn't get that pay-on-death account, didn't get any of the bank accounts, now have to lay out money of their own until they settle the entire estate, which, you know, was quite nominal, by the way. Um, right. Have to pay the oh, that's a little crazy. Bit more. Yeah. So when you die in testate, so in the state of Georgia, for instance, if you die in testate, um, your estate goes through what they call probate process. And it's essentially a legal process where the court oversees your estate closing, you know, the closing of your estate and how the money is distributed. So it's a required process. So, and I, you know, what we like to say about the probate process is that it's essentially a lawsuit that you file against yourself, you know, with your own money. Because now you have to pay an attorney like me to go to the probate court. Right. And, and, you know, and help dispose of your assets on a personal representative has to run around. It's, it's quite a hassle. The personal representative has to get your death certificate. That could take a month to get a death certificate. And if, if there's a mistake on it, it could take three months to fix. By the way, that recently happened to a client of mine. So, um, you know, the, uh, the probate process can be quite long. It can be quite short. If you have a small estate in the state of Georgia, you can get out of it. But it, but, you know, you're going through a court process when you could have avoided it through proper estate planning, say, with a living trust. Yeah. So. That's crazy. That, uh, that <laughs> I can only imagine the biological children are like, man, we're stuck with all this. There's not going <laughs> to be enough. To, I mean, it might be enough just to make us, you know, even Steven. But, you know, that yeah. kid's already, you know, spending the money on freaking beer and cigarettes you know what i'm saying and uh yeah 20 22 uh, year old yeah you're gone you're gonna party right um or you know whatever you do but and also this was in north carolina and neither child lived there so yes. then you have to hire a probate attorney you have to somebody has to clean out the house somebody has to pay for all of that or you just walk away um but you know um you don't want to just walk away you want to try to you know, yeah, I mean, just, there are I mean, sentimental things in the house. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Wanted, just walking away. I mean, you, you got stuff in there that's probably your own from when you were a kid. Oh, that's nuts. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly. What... So, so it's tough. It was. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that can happen because you know um, he thought everything would be just taken care of. I guess right. and maybe didn't think about it at all. But it was actually quite complex. It took um, it took about twelve months to settle that estate, and that was not a huge estate. It just wasn't. And so people say all the time, I don't really have that much. I just need a simple right. will. You know, can I just go online and get a $50 will or something? And that, and the fact is, that's not the case. That's not true because you, you don't realize the total value of your assets. Number one, that's another mistake people make is they don't know the value of their assets or where everything is, right? They don't have a list of where all yeah. of their accounts are, where all of their assets are, where all their liabilities lie. And, um, you know, not knowing that means that the person who gets your estate at the end, your personal representative or your, you know, your family member who has to deal with all of this, or even an attorney like me who's dealing with the probate issue, we have to try to figure out where all yeah. your assets are and where your life insurance is and hope that, you know, we, we get it all. So, you know, and that we can find all of your heirs, for instance. So it's yeah. quite complex. That's the other mistake people make is just not even not even doing anything, not even listing out their assets. 
The uh, thing about what you just said right there is one of the reasons I encourage folks to seek a real live human being for their estate planning, because yes, you can make it done. You can do it on legal zoom or whatever mm -hmm. the other ones are. No, like, I don't even know what they are, but those, those softwares aren't going to ask you questions or worse relay personal stories of situations they've seen with their own very eyes. And, uh, I just, I, I don't, and this is a, I don't know. It's kind of like one of those things, you know, people spend more money or more time by far on like fantasy football or Facebook arguing politics than they would ever on the stuff that actually matters. And, uh, and so when I say, well, you got a state plan, Oh yeah, I got the legal zoom. And I'm like, when did you do it? Ah, 15 years ago. And it just, it's, hey, I guess that's better yeah. than nothing, but that that's yeah, I'll not, you, I'll give you a story about yeah. that too. The, yeah. the Forsyth County, Georgia, um, a uh, probate judge has a has a story on his blog um, that tells the story of a guy who did one of those online or you know whatever the disc at the time probably wills and that would have been fine he would have listed all of his heirs that he who he wanted to get the um, the estate and his tangible personal property the problem was when he printed it out he missed a page. Ugh. And he missed the page that had the designated beneficiaries on it. He just didn't print it out completely. It was notarized and signed. Everything else was proper. And oh. the judge said, I would, have, I would have loved to honor it, but this is the danger of not having. And, 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 and you know, I know a lot of people say this is really self-serving, a lawyer saying you should get a lawyer. Right. But the reason you get a lawyer is we're responsible. If exactly. We if we make a mistake, you sue us later. We made a mistake, you know, because, but if you make a mistake and you for, your printer doesn't print out the most important page of the will, the judge can't honor that will. And now it's junk. And now it goes by intestacy. By the way, in the state of Georgia, most people think, you know, I think it's common, common thought that people say, well, if I die without a will, my spouse will take everything. And then after my spouse dies, it will fall to my children. Right. That's not true. In the state of Georgia, it's equal amongst your your children and your spouse. So if I have two kids and a spouse, then my estate's going to be split three ways, and it's not going to all go to my spouse. So where most people oh, say, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on a second. So in Georgia, if you died <laughs> intestate, intestate, whatever it's called, without your a husband will, right. doesn't mm -hmm. get everything. Half of it goes to the correct. Kid? Wow. It'll get it'll get split equally between your child and your children and your spouse. Let that's me ask it, a question on that, Stephanie. So say you're on the deed. All right. So, you know, we'll say your husband's Bob. Mm -hmm. We'll say this Bob and Stephanie are on the yeah. deed of the home and you got 200,000 and say the house is worth 200,000 and you got 200,000 in a CD that's in your name only. Does, does the 200,000 house go to Bob and then the 200,000 CD it gets split up between your two kids or, or is it, how does that work? You, you see what I'm saying? Cause well, he's, Right, right. So the the CD will get split three ways. Okay, generally. three ways. Gotcha. So it's, okay. it, it's your entire estate. So the house is probably held joint tenants with rights right. of survivorship. So that would pass to the spouse, right? Okay. okay. But uh, most likely that's held if it if it's held that way. Sometimes one spouse may have acquired the property before exactly. they got married, exactly. and it's only in one name. Now, now that's a more common issue is if if you have a house that's in one spouse's name and they pass away. Now you have the full value of a $200,000 house plus 200000 in a CD split between your spouse and children. Instead that's of as crazy. you intended. Yeah. yeah, so the spouse thinks, well, that's okay. At least I have the house and some cash to pay the mortgage because I never worked because my spouse worked. 
But now you don't have that, right? Because now the house is is going to um, go might go to your spouse because that's their share, but they won't get any cash. Or or potentially, if the house is only in the deceased spouse spouse's name, potentially all it would have to be sold so that nope. the cash I mean, could break off to a child. Like if you have a child who says, "I want my share," exactly. that shares in the house get your equity out of that house and give me my share. Right. So, and that could, ha- and it happens all the time because oh, absolutely. when people die, money pa- makes people weird. Oh. I mean, it really is a divide, a dividing factor and people want their money because, you know, some people, a lot of people have not planned well and they just, you know, money makes people greedy. Even the smallest things, a grandfather clock could divide an entire family. If you don't put in your will, I want the grandfather clock to go to Susie, right? And Man, it could be uh, a very divisive thing. I can only see if it's a second marriage too. And let's just say you had your home. We'll just say Bob is, you know, your husband, and you know mm-hmm. he's your second husband. I'm just using that for an example. And you had your home before you met Bob, and now and and now you die, yeah. and so it's just your mm-hmm. name on the deed, and you really want Bob to live there. But the kids like I never liked Bob to begin with. You see what I'm saying? I'm right, because like, that's my step parent. Exactly. exactly. So mm-hmm. screw him. And if we got to, we want to kick, we want to put him out to get our equity in the home. I mean, it just, yeah, let but, me ask or, you, or, or, or what if, what if that house passes to Bob, right? Or, right. And Bob has the house and your thought is, well, once Bob has the house, because it was joint tenants with rights of survivorship, then if Bob passes away, then it'll go to my children. But guess what? Bob has Bob's own estate plan. So Bob can designate anybody Bob wants. What if Bob remarries? And then all the money goes to Bob's new spouse Absolutely. and your children get nothing. So that that's that actually is, you know, uh tells it informs why a trust is important if you really are in a second marriage situation or if you if you think your spouse will get remarried but you want to make sure that your children to a previous marriage exactly. still take. Exactly. Um or your children still take because you do not want things to get diluted to the point. And most people's goal, estate planning goal, is to make sure that they leave something for their children, let's say. If that's your goal, then you need to really think about a trust structure, perhaps, right? And every situation is different. But that's where we see a lot of people really really thinking about the importance of, say, a trust over just a will-based plan. <clears throat> and, um, and same thing with business owners. You know, they may want their business to fall a certain way and hold those assets in trust. But I think people um, are a little afraid of trust because they don't understand them. But really in your lifetime, a trust is just you. It's your social security number. What a trust does is retitle your assets into this vessel, into like a bucket, this trust bucket. You can change the terms during your lifetime, but when you pass away, it then falls outside of your estate, outside of the probate process, no court right? If you've funded it fully, and then it falls down to your, your heirs, the way you have selected it to be to fall. And then all of these things like remarriages and everything, um, you know, sometimes creditor protections, if it falls into an irrevocable trust, those things come into play. And those things are really critical to preserving your legacy for your children. Is uh is Florida with an intestate? Is that the same thing as Georgia, or is that because you're you're you practice law in Florida a, too, right? Well, I'm a Georgia attorney. I'm a Georgia and New York attorney. So oh. Florida, Florida intestate. Yeah, I don't do uh I don't do uh, estate planning in Florida. But you have office down there, right? 
Yeah, it, there we only do immigration law. Okay, so we only gotcha. do federal law there. Mm-hmm. How, how we about have Florida lawyers down there, but okay. Um, in New York, we yeah, in New York we we have a vir- basically virtual practice for okay. New York. So we help some New Yorkers, but through our virtual practice. Is that intestate in New York similar to Georgia? Um, no, no. Um, the surviving spouse in, 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 well, in, oh, well, let me answer your question, Florida. I can't give Florida, Florida legal advice. But, um, intestacy is different in Florida. So the entire state would go to the surviving spouse, for instance. Okay. New York is a little different because New York actually allows for a marital share. So, um, there's a portion of the estate that, that the spouse will automatically get. We just don't have that in Georgia. Okay. But well, and there see this is the kind of stuff where look, if, I mean, how would I, I get legal Zoom and stuff? And I'm not here to freaking you know to mm-hmm. make sure that everyone hires Stephanie. I'm just I'm saying, how could legal Zoom know who you are if you're in? I literally, as we're talking, I got an email from a lady who just relocated from Maine to to Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's just like and and she's asking, hey, do I know any attorneys or CPAs down there? Which is good because I always say, be proactive. Yeah, she should talk to someone. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the issue is, if you are legal Zoom and you did the thing in in, in New York, and now you're coming to Georgia, and you're like, I said, you have a will, and you're like, yeah. Well, if you didn't tell me that you relocated, the, it might not work the way you think it did because where you had drawn it up change is different now than down here in Georgia. You know what I'm saying, Stephanie? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 most of the time, that um, a will is going to be honored when you move. But um, you you absolutely when you move you want to talk, check in with a local exactly attorney, um, and just get it updated. It's not that expensive and it's so important to just have everything updated. And not only that, um, you know, in our practice, um, we really believe in making sure that we speak to the to a client at least every two years. Get an update on their life. Life changes. You know, if you have a oh. twenty year old will yeah. and and the people the beneficiaries. Um, are no longer, let's say the beneficiary has, um, has grown up, you know, was yeah. a minor child. And now that beneficiary has grown up and they like to spend a lot of money. Now, um, are you still thinking that you want to give them outright yeah. a half million dollar estate, right? Or, or, or larger in some cases, you know, maybe they can't manage their money and you want to help them through another vessel, or maybe just simply they're no longer living. Some beneficiaries may long, no longer be living. Um, you know, you really, it is important, no matter where you're living, it, certainly if you relocate, you need to talk to an attorney, a local attorney, and have them just evaluate your will and maybe update it. But every two years, you know, just reach out. If you have an attorney that, that drafted your will, um, you know, for us, we just do it. We do it as a matter of practice, um, free. We always, you know, every two years, we look at the person's circumstances and their goals and make sure it still aligns with their estate plan. But, you know, just reach out to an attorney every couple of years and get that will updated. Read it yourself. Some people haven't taken their will out for 15 years and looked at it, and they don't even know what's in it. The other mistake when people got living trust, they'll say, who's your, you know, who's your successor trustee? And, you know, someone has a trust usually knows a little Mm -hmm. bit more than someone just has the will in terms of what their estate planning is because they got the trust for a specific reason. And no one knows. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's fine. You don't have to know. Let's bust it out. And then we'll bust out the trust. We'll say the successor trustee is Uncle, you know, we'll call him Uncle Jim. Uh, But Uncle Jim's got dementia now. I said, yeah, we probably need to update Mm -hmm. that because if something were to happen and your Uncle Jim's co-trust or successor trustee, that ain't going to fly. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
Didn't Georgia, like 10 years ago, change our laws for medical uh, powers of attorney or something like that? What I know Florida changed it. And Georgia, both these states had some change in estate planning you know, in the last 10 years or so. Um, are you familiar with that by chance? Um, no, we, well, we have a, we have a, um, in Georgia, we have a statutory advanced directive for health care. Yeah. Um, real easy form, just designating somebody who is going to um, you know, be able to make decisions for you if you're incapacitated. Um, you know, very fairly simple. Um, but you, you know, you have to do it right, and you have to execute it properly. But it's available on a lot of, you know, a lot of websites. A lot of people will use those websites, but certainly we try to do it you know, in combination with a lot of, with your comprehensive estate plan, but it's called advanced directive for healthcare. That was the change and they updated the statutory form. Yeah. Let's, but see what I'm saying. It's like with legal zoom, I, I just feel like I'm, I, 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 folks, I'm not trying to come across like a sales pitch. I just, I'm telling you, legal zoom is not going to reach out to you and say, Hey, by the way, the laws have changed. And cause Ford has something pretty significant too. And then, you know, just going back yeah. to New York mm-hmm. state, they just updated their estate tax law, the state estate tax mm-hmm. law, right. and no one's going to reach out to you from a computer program and say, hey, you got this money um, that's going to be subject to XYZ estate tax, XYZ in you know, Pennsylvania. We got inheritance tax. New Jersey just had massive changes to their estate tax law, but they still have inheritance tax. No legal Zoom is right. going to talk to you. Now, with that said, Stephanie, I got to tell you. Just because you hire an attorney to draw it up doesn't mean that attorney's uh, as competent as like Stephanie would be here. Because uh, I'll give an example. I had, I had these folks uh, in South Jersey when I was when I was working at Philly, and uh, and she thought she had said. And, and back then, New Jersey, you only had six seventy five that you could transfer without subject to the New Jersey estate tax. And this is only five, probably eight years ago. Long story short, they thought they had an irrevocable trust set up, you know, to avoid the estate tax. And, and if you look to the first page of the flipping trust, it said this trust can be revoked by the grantor. And the grantor was them. And, and uh, they had an attorney draw that up. And that is like ah, that's it's kind of like in financial planning. We got a lot of right. bad financial planners out there. We have some good ones. We have a lot of bad ones. And unfortunately, the same thing goes to law. So somebody says, well, I don't trust any of those guys anyway. And it's just too bad because. There are a lot of good attorneys out there. There are a lot of good financial planners. And if to throw them all in with some of these incompetent fools is, I, I, I just think it's putting yourself at, not you, Stephanie, but the listener here, right. that undue risk for sure. That's too bad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole goal behind uh, a revocable living trust is that you can revoke it. You can, you can change the terms and you can update it as you need to because your needs are going to change throughout oh, absolutely. your life. Do you help um, like when, it, so the big thing is an unfunded trust. And I, I've seen this a million times a Sunday and that ticks mm-hmm. me off. So someone comes to Stephanie's office and says, and you know, you have the discussion and you find a trust is valid. Um, yeah, obviously folks, if you're going to do a trust with an estate planning attorney, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. No getting around that and just recognize that's the thing. I mean, literally it's, if you talk to a competent estate planning attorney who recommends a trust, a living trust, all right? And we talked about living trust before many times. We'll do it again. Um, but that just as little as just you you own it, you control it, the whole thing. It flows back to your 1040. Uh, it, it's part of your estate when you die. But if you go into Stephanie and she says, hey, I recommend a living trust because of whatever it is. And obviously she'll tell you why. Um, do you help them you know, put the assets in the trust, Stephanie, or, or what? I mean, because that can be a big problem with these unfunded trusts I've found. 
Yeah, another, you know, we started we started the conversation talking about mistakes with estate planning. That's another huge mistake is having either a fund, a, a trust that's not funded at all or that is partially funded. Yeah. Because you have to fund, a fund is, uh, a trust is useless if it's not funded. And by funding, all we mean is you're changing the title of the assets into the name of the revocable living trust. The Stephanie Scarborough revocable living trust, my assets are now owned in that name. And that's what we do. And and it's going to happen at your death, I should say. Somebody has to run around and do all of this. You're yeah. just doing it in advance, right? And, um, yeah, that we do help people do that. Uh, we give people the option if they want us to do it. Obviously, they pay us to do it. Yeah. But um, but uh, we do give them the option. If they want to do a self-funded trust, then we're probably going to harass them almost. And we're going to call them and make sure they funded that trust. Um, we have an actually an asset and liability spreadsheet that we give them where they can mark off what's been funded. And then we want to check back with them. Oh, okay. Sometimes cool. it takes yeah. them two or three months. But we want to see, hey, send us your updated oh, spreadsheet. Oh, that's fantastic. Tell us what you funded into the name of the trust. And, and then we also want them to put that into their binder, the deeds or the bank statements and 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 everything that they've transferred into the into the trust into the binder so that when we do meet with them in a year or two depending on their circumstances then we can see what's been funded yeah. and we can make recommendations even if they don't pay us to fund it we want to follow up and make sure it is funded and i can tell you i have clients who haven't funded their trust and they've come back to me because they didn't want to pay extra money it's a lot of running around it yeah. really is for people who own a substantial amount of assets there's a lot of work to be done, mostly administrative work. So we've had people who, who just couldn't get everything funded and just came back to us after you know, six months or so and said, can I just pay you guys to do this? Right. Just do it. Right. And, and, and especially business owners who are already busy, they need <laughs> help. Right. So. The last thing a business owner needs to be doing is going to the, uh, the county courthouse to, to retitle their house. Right. In their living trust. I mean, not look. I'm not saying you know. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, they have a business to run. Uh, get mm -hmm. back to doing the things that you're good at. Let Stephanie do the things that you know her team's good at for sure. I do find the um the lack of uh, putting uh, homes in trust uh, is a big, mm -hmm. big no go on uh, on a lot of estate docs. And I, look, I'm not saying they needed to have it done, but in my opinion. Uh, who's better to do that? Uh, Stephanie yeah. and her team or your attorney folks. I don't care who it is. It could be your attorney right. or you. Right. I, mean, mm -hmm. it, I mean, do you really want to go down to, I'm just giving an example. I was trying to get my homestead exemption filed, Stephanie, because even though I'm a financial planner, um, I'm an idiot. Yeah, I did not file my homestead exemption for Fulton County for the first five years we lived here. And I oh, knew to do wow. it. Yeah, it happens. It happens, that, right? Because I dreaded going down. I said, I don't know. And so long story short, I went to the wrong place and she was actually quite nice. And then I had to go get this other paperwork. So it took me, it was a lot. I, I lucked out. I went at the right time. Well, it wasn't nearly as difficult as it could have been. But I was sitting there thinking if I would have come at a different time, this could have taken a whole day, if not two and the funny thing is, now that you just said they can hire you guys to do it, I was like, well, uh, Stephanie and her team know exactly where to go. <laughs> they know this what, what we do, to yeah. go to. Mm -hmm. exactly. where, where you're not. Um, uh, just find it funny. Um, let's talk about, so we talk about Will. We talk about uh, Living Trust, Healthcare Directors, Durable Powers of Attorney. Um, just your thoughts on on just big IRA stuff, Stephanie, because going back to that grandkid, and we'll just pick on him for a little bit, 
you know, if he gets a big fat IRA and he's 22 years old, uh, that money is going to be, we know that money is going to be spent and it's going to be taxed enormously because he'll take it as a, as a distribution mm-hmm. and have yeah. to pay ordinary income tax. Out, right? And we know this is no, this is not debatable. People say my grandkid wouldn't do that. You know, yes, he will. Cause like Stephanie said, when it comes to money, all of a sudden everyone's got uh, lake houses in there or, or fast cars. Any thoughts on, uh, I, I, I waver a little bit. I'm not an attorney, but just putting a trust as your beneficiary of a large IRA or a, or 401k or something. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, two things. First, life insurance and IRAs. Yes. Um, good point. And right life on. insurance, Perfect. if you have minor children or you have a special needs child or you have even a, what we call a spendthrift spouse, someone who's going to spend the money really quickly and you want to make sure that you know you can control that a little bit. Um, then I like life insurance trust, putting, putting life insurance in, into its separate, um, islet, what we call an islet for life insurance. Um, and IRA, it really depends on, I usually reach out to the wealth advisor and say, is it reasonable? Because, um, if, um, if there are options for the spouse to spread out the RMDs, then, um, the wealth manager might say, you know, name the spouse as the primary beneficiary, name the, the uh, IRA trust as a secondary beneficiary so that the spouse can stretch out yeah. the, um, the RMDs. So we want to take care, take advantage of those stretch out provisions in, you know, in consultation with a wealth advisor, for instance, but really mo- almost always we'll, we'll list a, a trust as a secondary beneficiary on an okay. IRA. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm quite fond of that. I'm, I, I like trust just for, you know, unless you have a perfect scenario where you know that the person is terrific at managing money, there's no external pressures, they don't have medical issues or special needs, then then you know, that risk is there um, for the individual. So I like I like IRA trusts and I like life insurance trusts. Who do you that, recommend as uh, like successor trustees? Though, because my own experience is when it's a, I, this again, I vacillate some, but. My own experiences is uh, Uncle Bob will be the successor trustee, but then you know his sister will want the money quicker than what Uncle Bob feels appropriate as by law from their parents. You see, not by law, but by from yeah. dictate from the parents. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Bob's now getting hammered by the sister saying, give me the money, give me the money. And he's like, man, I, I just I can't because dad was really worried about you, you know, sniffing up your nose mm-hmm. or something like that. What do you recommend? Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like to name a secondary corporate trustee, a financial okay. trustee, um, someone who does this for a living. For one, I like to do it because the purpose of that money, I mean, you can really, um, you know, tend that garden. A financial advisor and a professional trustee can work with a wealth advisor to really grow that money so that yeah. as you're taking the income, I mean, it might be that your beneficiaries are only taking the income from that trust and you can preserve the principal for their children or for them as they go through life. And it's basically their own retirement plan, right? I mean, they have income that they're getting from the trust. The principal remains um, secure unless they per- can permissibly take right. it under the terms of the trust. And you set the terms. So um, I like to name uh, a fiduciary, a corporate fiduciary, somebody who who is a trust advisor and can manage the estate because um, it helps the trustee, right? Like you said, Uncle Uncle Joe, Jim or whatever, he doesn't he doesn't want the pressure, and he's more likely to cave than a professional advisor. Oh, yeah. A professional advisor can say no. And h- how about this? What if you have um, you know issues with Medicaid? So if you if you 
if you are a special needs person or you have yeah. to go on a Medicaid, right? Let's say you have a stroke, you know, your beneficiary has a stroke and has to get Medicaid. And I know we don't, you know, you should pay what you what you're supposed to pay. But if it, the money can be used to make their life, um, you know, more comfortable, then if it's in a trust and they can just take it what they want, as that money goes into their account, it's going to go to Medicaid. Right? Oh, yeah. You can only take a certain amount out. If it's controlled the proper way, um, it can improve their housing situation. Because let's face it, Medicaid doesn't pay for everything. No. So it could it can improve their housing situation, make sure they don't lose their home, put them in a more secure environment. So it, that money can be used in a trust if it's managed properly by a professional trustee. And sometimes you're, or by, if, if it's a special needs situation, or by a family member with a like some sort of guidance on um on you know how it would impact their social security or let's say SSI or Medicaid benefits. So there's a lot it's a powerful tool um for helping your family members, you know, f- far into the future. Absolutely. Um now do you act as trustee by chance? You uh, stepping We don't. Firm? Okay, gotcha. No, but we you don't. know folks uh, fiduciary corporate trustees that you can recommend that you're comfortable with? We do. Okay. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. All right, good. That that's that's always been an issue. Like, who should I hire as a trustee? Um, you know, for corporate, uh, you know, because that's uh, that's not a cheap proposition. And some of the, and I I worked in banking a long time ago, and I remember some of the trustees at Old First Union Bank who weren't worth you know freaking ten cents. You know what I'm saying? I just said, oh boy. So you always want to make sure that you have uh, somebody you can rely on, i.e., uh, someone like Stephanie who can kind of wash out the the losers from the winners in there for sure. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you really have to keep an eye on it as well. You know, you have a uh, being a co-trustee even is a is a huge responsibility oh, because you're yeah. a steward of that money. And there's a and I read uh, this guy was uh, he had written an article and I used to subscribe to Trust and Stays magazine. I don't anymore just because I don't have time. But uh, he was mm-hmm. talking about there's a cottage industry of uh, estates being sued, trustees being sued uh, because of the beneficiaries feeling they, they weren't getting their what they felt they're supposed to. And uh who wants to mess with that stuff? I mean, put that on the legal people who know what the heck they're doing. I mean, you don't want to be Uncle John or Uncle Bob or, or Aunt Mary or whatever, and you get mm-hmm. sued by the beneficiary because she or he feels like he's not getting taken care of the way he should be. Uh, uh, what a nightmare. Right. Uh, right. It is a nightmare. It really is. And, uh, and sometimes it's worth every penny you, know, exactly. like you pay a, a, finan- uh, yeah. a trust manager because because in the end, if they're managing the assets properly, their payment is coming out of whatever income may be grown by the trust, right? If they're doing it in exactly, the proper exactly. way um, and they're working with a wealth advisor. So, and some of them are, by the way, wealth advisors as well. So if they're managing the yeah. asset properly, then it, then it's going to be taken care of. And, and it's such a valuable asset to have. I, I should say that an irrevocable trust. So when you, when a, when a trust, a living trust, which is revocable, meaning I can change the terms during my lifetime, when I pass away, that trust in most circumstances becomes irrevocable. Right. The terms can, the terms are set by what I said the terms were before I died. So an irrevocable trust that you set up for somebody else becomes a very valuable asset. And it, I should say um, it's not even a personal asset. But the reason I say that is. It can be insulated from divorce, creditors, sometimes from bankruptcy. Yeah. It can be insulated from a lot of life circumstances yeah, man, that we absolutely. face every day. It's, 
that is like re- really critical because I've had, you know, I have a colleague who went through a personal bankruptcy, but her grandmother has had, she had gotten a revocable, an irrevocable trust um, from her grandmother's estate and that money was there for her. So she wasn't destitute and was able to start again and start fresh. We used to, and, uh, um, mm-hmm. we used to call it Stephanie that, uh, the, the trust will protect your heirs from, uh, from creditors, predators, in-laws, and outlaws. And uh, I always thought right. that, was, that was pretty funny because exactly right. I mean, and I hate to say it, but a, a transfer on death or a payable on death arrangement won't do that for sure because there's always going to be someone snooping around at the money. When um Oh, yeah. yeah. Lastly, just real quick, so I, you know, I actually I've got to go to physical therapy because I had rotator cuff surgery. Yay! So, But I'll get out of here Yay. in just a second. One more, uh, one more question real quick. Um. So let's just say someone hires, this is specific to your firm. And I, you know, I just go back to my, you know, I have a wife and four kids and, uh, you know, my four kids, my oldest at Georgia Tech, my, my youngest are still, you know, children, you know, I mean, they're all children, mm-hmm. of course, but you know how it is. Sure. And when you got three teens, the nice thing about having a, an attorney that's uh, local and present that you can see the face as a human being is what I say, Stephanie, is that if I get killed, uh, my wife will know to go to our attorney, you know what I'm saying? And I imagine you yeah. would do the same thing. It's like, look, I'm, you know, I'm more, if she gets killed, I say, I don't know what the hell to do. You know what I'm saying? To settle this stuff. What do I do? Well, I just go to the person who draw it up, which is Stephanie Scarborough's law firm. I'm just saying, look, I call up and I get Bailey on the horn. I said, Bailey, you know, this is Josh Scanlon. My wife just died. I got some insurance. I got these kids. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I, my present, and I hate to put words in your mouth, but I imagine you and your team are going to get on that like white on rice to make sure that the burden is removed to some degree off the surviving spouse. Does that make sense? What I'm asking or stating there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the probate process. If you, if you don't have a living trust and uh, if you, it's the probate process, if you have a will or don't have a will, but it's um, if you have a living trust, there's still things that have to be done to transfer the asset. And, and, and by the way, we're, you know, how do I just the fundamentals of, of getting access to the bank account, of doing right. those things, of making sure the durable, if you're incapacitated, the durable uh, power of attorney is working. And, you know, just that, that's what we're here for. And that, that is really, um, you know, I don't want it to be a commercial again, because this is about educating people. And that's, that's what we're here to do is make sure people understand that um, whomever your advisor is, whether it's us or somebody else, make sure that you have a good relationship with them and you don't disappear for five years and not talk to them. When yeah. you walk in with your estate planning binder or you even give me a call on a Saturday night at midnight and I get a message saying that something horrible has happened, I can look at your documents and know exactly what to do and we can jump in and help. And that that's really the key is, is you know, support for our I, uh, So absolutely. And, and, and any attorney that you're working with who's kind of your personal family attorney should be able to do that. Well, tell folks how uh, they can get a hold of you, Stephanie, if you don't mind. So you can get a hold of me at scarboroughlaw.com. You can also call our office at 678-257-1808. We're on social media also. You can reach out to me at Stephanie Scarborough on Instagram. That's my personal Instagram page if you want to see some of my great cycling adventures. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we're on Facebook at Scarborough Law Georgia. I'll put links in the show notes. And, uh, and Stephanie has a, uh, a, a YouTube channel, Stephanie Scarborough. It, I'll, again, I'll put links in the show notes that I've yeah. encouraged mm-hmm. her to activate that more. She got four videos now, but one was actually pretty popular on the H4EAD. We, I don't have time to talk about it right now, but uh, uh, that was a very popular. So if you're someone who's interested in H4EAD, 
um, this is a place you'd want to check because she had 26,000 views in the last five months' time, and Stephanie only has three other videos, which tells me there's a lot of information about H4EAD. Um, but anyway, Steph, this is fantastic. I'm much obliged for you being on this call. I uh, hang tight after we're just done because I want to just say thank you offline here. So hold on just a second, okay?